This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatane by Mawera Karatai. Kura Mawera. Kura Sam, how's it going? It's going very well indeed. How was your weekend? Um, it was really good actually. We just picked up uh, five rescue chooks to go with the chooks that we have. Um, and our boss chook, uh, Sylvie is her name, who came from our guest today actually, um, soon got everybody into line. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully we'll. Uh, We'll have a happy chook house soon, <laughs> hopefully. Something they chaotic call it, in there at the moment. <laughs> they call it packing order for a reason. Oh, my gosh, do they ever. And, there is, yeah, Sylvie is the boss. And, yeah, you don't want to mess with her. Um, <laughs> she's a two-hoy chook. <laughs> and who are we introducing today? Speaking of two-hoy, it's my absolute great pleasure to reintroduce Toy Kairako ET. Toy has been with us before during the first lockdown. Um, Toy is probably in like in my top five favourite humans on the planet. Toy's up there. He's he is a good good person. It's wonderful to have you with us again, Toy. Thanks for joining us. Good to be back with you guys again. Top five, Mawera. Yeah, top five, but you've earned it, eh? <laughs> Look at all that work you're doing out in the world. You're actually making change happen. I think that means I think that means you're number five. Because if it was like yeah. if if you were if you were six, she would have said top six. If you're four, she would have said oh, top oh, four. So that means you're five. Oh, yeah. yeah, but I've got I, I children and I've got children and Sam. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll squeeze in at five. All right. Well, let's say five. You're a top five equal. Because <laughs> she's just done the math on how many children she's got. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oops. And what if I'm listening? <laughs> How are you going, Toy? How, how's your bubble life been? Well, um, bubble life, yes. I, I have I blown the bubble. Um, I, I don't I don't think so. It's 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 a bit of a moving feast these days, isn't it? It's um, you know when you go out into the shops, and I know we're all supposed to be wearing masks still, but it's actually seems to have really dropped off um, the mask wearing. Um, but I at the moment know more people who have COVID or have had COVID in the last month than ever since this whole pandemic started. It seems to be everywhere. So uh, I'm not sure what that is is saying, but it's saying something. It's kind of strange how the two years of practicing for when we all got COVID has coincided. The end of that time has coincided with us getting COVID. So the time when we're not wearing masks is, is really when we should be. Yeah, well, that's the, that's the history of humanity, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so I think when you, we last spoke, you had just been elected onto the regional council. 
How's that going? Is that right? Wow, three years does fly. Um, or, or two and a half, I guess. It's um, it has certainly been a journey, and as I, I as I head into the um, well, I did announce I was going to say the possibility of standing again because I, I I do on a daily basis question uh, my choices, <laughs> um, but I have made an announcement that I am um, standing again, and as I head into that journey, uh, I look around not only locally uh, on a on a let's say I guess micro level, um, but also on a uh, a macro level globally as such an um, such an odd time. There's so much going on uh, from the clear signs of climate shift that is happening. Uh, some of the big storms we're experiencing uh, down here in the southern hemisphere and the, uh, of course, Europe on fire um, with with the heat wave that's going through there, with the war in Europe, with the uh, shifting in the political and economic spaces with China and Russia. Um, there, there seems to be a, a a lot of change in the wind, and so as I head back into the possibility of of sitting at the regional council again in the Bay of Plenty, uh, I don't think those winds of change can be ignored, and I don't think that we, of course, you we don't have the luxury of ignoring anything really but how we respond for me is a question how are we going to uh not just say hey we're in a climate emergency we are officially taking the position that we're in a climate emergency and then we're going to pretty much carry on business as usual we might set some baselines on our carbon um footprint so we can show that we're making some positive shifts shifts um but the change without being you know, it's the word when you're uh, kind of a doomsayer without being uh, hyperbolic about about what things are happening, how things are going out there in the world. Um, I think things are changing really, really rapidly, more rapidly than uh, um, most people kind of perceive on your day to day basis necessarily. Uh, but if you read widely and listen widely, there's huge amounts of change happening globally. Um, and I, I don't think we have the luxury of the kind of incremental policy development that approach that we have taken um, up to now. So uh, that's that's where my mind is at, heading into potentially representing for a second triennium. So if you're moving beyond incremental policy development, are you thinking now radical is the time for something more radical? I really do think there needs to be some radical shift. Um, the people who have been in charge so far are safe hands for st- the status quo. And I, I do not underestimate the challenge or the uh, the disruption that radical change causes. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about a, a, a revolution, a revolutionary uprising. But there needs to be some real radical shifting with regards to preparing ourselves to accept the leadership shift that's going to happen when the next generations come through. So there has to be some serious preparation and cultural shift and and uh, so that we leave a legacy and a space where they can potentially come up with some with that radical change. It may not be us who are able to necessarily um, 
see out that radical change, but we need to be able to provide a space where we know it's coming, at least, at the very least. So, uh, yeah, I, I have been talking about radical change. Um, we cannot try to, I think, rip the plaster off too slowly. I think there needs to be some more urgency. Look, you know, with the pandemic, we uh, it has been shown what happens when there is a true emergency and how we respond. We were locked down. There are uh, restrictions, heavy restrictions put into place. Um, so the mechanisms for that are there. When we announced things like a climate emergency in the Bay Plenty Regional Council, before I got there, had announced a climate emergency. Uh, it does not feel like an emergency to me. It feels like, oh, we're going to carry on pretty much as normal and maybe buy some electric cars, try and uh, motivate modal shift into public transport use. But meanwhile, we're going to expand the port uh, based on projections of increased um, import exports. And for me, the two don't quite add up. So um, I think there needs to be some real shift in leadership and culture. Uh, policy development, you've got to be careful about that. You know, by, rush, rush. by standing for council, you are nailing um, yourself to the to the flag of making change from within the system. Can the system change itself radically? No, no, I don't. I don't. I don't think it can. Actually, I think there needs to be those who are sitting inside of the tent who are part of an overall strategy for radical change. There must be those on the outside who are pushing. There must be those on the outside who who are ringing the bell and are organising. And then those of us who are inside the tent can go, hey, come on, this is what's going on, and we need to adapt and we need to shift and move. Um, we can't do that just by ourselves. We're sitting there by ourselves fighting, uh, uh, you know, uh, arguing or putting forth that argument. There needs to be a wider uh, movement from the outside, and that is why this triennium I have uh, announced that I'll be standing under Te Pāti Māori as uh, um, so I do not feel like that I am there by myself. So, and part of that for me is also preparing a pipeline, you could say, that when uh, I have had my fill of having to sit within a colonial construct and um, uh, do my mahi within that space, when I'll go, oh, look, I'm done. There is a succession plan to bring through uh, people who have the same values, who have the same urgency for radical change and that it, they, the next person doesn't have to start again per se. So that's the, that's the reason why um, I have, have, well, one of the reasons anyway, that I have decided to uh, throw my lot in uh, with the Party Māori, that there was a, um, a nation, nationwide movement of, um, well, I went, went to one of their conferences recently, and the people with, that were there, it was inspiring. They were my generation and millennials and even some Gen Zers who weren't saying they've got all of the answers, but they're passionate about being unapologetically Maori. And I feel within Te Pāti Maori in its current iteration, the ability to be to the the space and the ability to have some courageous conversations about who we are as Maori 
outside of the iwi space or the hapu space just more generally as maori so um and they you know like all political movements and parties they uh they organize but i don't think any party should be locked into a, a narrow um policy portfolio i think these things need to be um discussed i think there's still room to uh, debate within the party Māori policy stances on various things. Um, I, I would want it to be a broad church. You know, back in the day when Hone Harawera had to step away and form the, the Mana Party, um, I was the the disappointing part for me was that well, why can we not accommodate all of who we are as Māori within the party Māori? It is uh, we are not homogenous as Māori. We are diverse, and so. Um, I still have that optimism, you could say, within Te Pāti Māori that actually me being in Te Pāti Māori will have an influence as well on the uh, overall direction and leadership, not just me as a person uh, singularly, but people who think like me and who are like me. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited by that, actually. <laughs> Let's squeeze in the first of your music choices. Let's have Troy Kingies off his new album, Ihi Opia. Why this one? Yeah, yeah, Ihi, Ihi Opia, which is a transliteration for Ethiopia. And this is, this whole album is that he released at Matariki uh, this year is a real Māori version of uh, a 2019 um, album. Uh, that he that he released, which he got a lot of, uh, he got the Dylan Tate Award for it. He got, um, it was a nomination for the Silver Scrolls. It was an album called Holy Colony Burning Acres. And so this is, uh, um, uh, what I love about this album, the original album, and also about that he's done it in trio. Uh, a, I just think he's a fantastic musician. Uh, B, it is his commentary on uh, global colonization not just the the maori experience of colonization and i think that's just really important because we are part of a global community of colonization so that's um um i didn't actually pick it for the political kind of so i could you know make some political commentary <laughs> on it. it's just really really good too so this is um uh ethiopia is uh ethiopia uh, which is in the original album is called Ethiopia and um, the Lion of Judah, Hali Selassie, um, in Ethiopia, and uh, yeah, here's the track. <laughs>
on the outside ringing the bell and you know like I, I think I'm one of those people standing on the outside ringing the bell and one of the frustrations that I have uh, as an activist in our community is that people on the inside don't listen and so you lose heart you just get to the point where you just think oh, I'm too tired and I don't want to do this anymore I mean we have massive success with getting the legislation changed for Māori wards but that is one small step and a really long journey to make things right. How do we keep people on the outside motivated? Organising, you have to you have to organise um, and talk to yourselves, inspire yourselves. Uh, you need to create events that inspire people. You need to be a part of creating those spaces where you not only have difficult conversations, but you. You bring a way to it, to it, which everyone can feel, which makes, make, which inspires people to uh, continue ringing the bell and to find new and innovative ways to um, to to bring us together and, and 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 inspire change. Really, I think that's that's incredibly important because you do get fatigued uh, talking to the system. And it, uh, it isn't individuals that necessarily ignore you, Mawera. It is the system that ignores you. It is the system that is uh, managed by bureaucracy um, and bureaucrats that are guided by policy. And so when you are talking against that, that's why it uh, is really tediously and frustratingly slow. And so you you need to be aware that you will get fatigued and therefore you need to know also that there comes a point where you need to be succession planning you need to be building uh the inspiration within your communities for people to continue to engage to push for change to be aware of the uh, mechanisms and functions of these colonial constructs do you think that the system is designed so that we can't change it like do you think it's got protective mechanisms in place to prevent us from being able to stand outside and ring the bell and inspire change? It certainly does have, um, by its very nature, um, protective mechanisms in place. Um, You know, you you do, um, well, I have anyway, I have a begrudging respect for uh, what we're trying, what, what the system tries to do, um, you know, if we're talking about a Western liberal democracy that we live in, um, it gets very complicated very quickly. It's like, oh, we, we, where do you go to now? You see the rise of authoritarianism globally. Yes. You know, alarmingly. Alarmingly. But also that is a systemic response. That's the protective mechanism. Well, that's that, that's one type of protective mechanism within where they are trying to, you're talking about capitalism or you're talking about economies and trying to keep the flow of trade, trying to keep people housed, fed, all those things. 
Um, you can see when that's with, within a liberal Western system, democracy type system, where that can break is quite fragile they can actually break down and so when you see the likes of china and other authoritarian states who are going actually no <laughs> you're not going to mess with this well, it is like and we will use any means necessary whereas in the west we have this idea of democracy um where um you know we can shift legislation and change laws to adapt to the shifting of our culture um uh, but as was shown in America with Trumpism and the storming of the Capitol, you know, there's quite a thin veneer of um, democracy before the National Guard gets called in, before, you know, the those mechanisms come into play. And it's the same here, I think, when you're dealing with, you know, there's an illusion that you can change things and shift things, but... There are forces at play to keep the status quo. A lot of those are economic forces and um, uh, political forces um, to protect certain economic models. Uh, and those things are certainly there, but there's like, we have this idea that we have choice. Yeah. You know, e e <laughs> you know but, but and, and it's even bringing Māori wards in. It's an idea that because we have Māori representation there, suddenly, you know, like you said, it's a very, very, very actual small step. I mean, yeah. local government itself is in question. In if you read the tea leaves, it really is the the central that can shift. So I wonder if we are going to see um, more authoritarianism start to creep into our Western liberal democracies around the world, because. When, well, we are seeing it. It's yeah. not a case of will we or could we. We are seeing it. And we're seeing the rights of people being eroded. And and it's not okay. And it starts with women and take yeah. the power away from women. And, and then the rest of it goes. And, you know, if you think about colonisation, um, you think of the, the Jesuit priests who were the colonisers um, standing in the middle of the, you know, the town centre, teaching the men how to beat their women and children. That's a documented fact that happened. That yeah. you know, that that was part of colonisation was to take the power away from women, and and that's exactly what's happening again now. So it's and not, a, not only women, and, and and you know, as as use that as a metaphor of for for Papatuanuku, we've done the same to her. Absolutely. And when we look at uh, the Rangitaiki Plains, um, you had the Tarawera, the Rangitaiki, and the Whakatane River rivers all coalescing in uh, the Rangitaiki Plains and creating the largest wetland of New Zealand, of Aotearoa. Uh, and they came in and cut it up and drained it to produce you know, went and harvested phosphorus from from islands in the Pacific and grew milk powder. Mm. Um, and actually, the Re Bay of Plenty Regional Council was born from that and still perpetuates because the pumps, we have a, a department in the Regional Council called Rivers and Drainage, and we manage the pumps that continue to drain uh, the water, the that's naturally the wetlands. I mean, it's no accident that Edgecombe was was ground zero of that particular flood. The wetland wants to return to wetland for a reason. And so at what point do we stop 
that is my question. At what point do you make that shift and go, oh, why are we fighting against nature? Um, that's the kind of radical shift culturally and thinking-wise that I'm talking about. I know it won't happen overnight, but the regional council doesn't even at this point acknowledge the fact that they perpetuate the rape of Papatuanuku. Exactly. Here, here. And I will be sitting in the next triennium and using those kinds of phrases because we need to acknowledge that. We can, and we and I will get pushed back, and they will say, "Well, there are economic factors that." need to be taken account and we are where we are and how do we find a way forward? I'm like, well, first step in finding a way forward is acknowledging how the hell we got here and the kind of mentality and culture that brought about the situation that we're in. That is the first step. And then once you acknowledge that and you publicly acknowledge that and you take that into your overall culture and thinking, then you might have the possibility of going, okay, what next? So yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm interested in that illusion that you can change things because it, you're right it does pers- help a system persist if it can pretend that it's doing something but do you think in the last in the last three years you've been able to actually make a difference i i not sure if i personally have made a difference i have certainly tried to take uh take advantage of the opportunity that the overall cultural shift is that there's an overall culture shift that is happening um, with regards to acknowledgement of Te Tiriti of Waitangi. Uh, and I have been able to play a part of ensuring that the regional council uh, starts to acknowledge that. So that's the, I do feel like I have participated and helped within that space. Yeah. But there certainly is still, you know, there's a lot of platitude. There's a lot of uh, window dressing. There's a lot of uh, greenwashing. Uh, I don't know what the 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 Maori word version of is it Maori washing? That sounds odd. Um, you know, <laughs> there there is certainly uh, you know still a lot of oh look we've put Maori words at the top of um, reports. Um, look, there's we're flying the flag now, the Tino flag next to the 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 New Zealand flag and the regional council flag every day. Um, look, you know, look, we're doing great. You guys should be thankful. Yes, that's called virtue signalling. And it's like, um, no, I'm not thankful for you doing your job. And actually, I'm not thankful for me having to be here to keep pushing and reminding you that you should be doing the right thing. That's something that shouldn't be necessarily, um, you know, you, you don't want to be throwing bricks all the time. There are occasions to throw, throw bouquets to, to encourage, but... I don't know, I've kind of gotten to a point where I think possibly some more bricks do need to be thrown. Um, and we'll see how that goes. Hey, we'll see what the outcomes of that is. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou ko tahohau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining, and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are. The triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique, and here making things better. Thank you. Now, as we know, 
It is a great pleasure, it is a great privilege to be alive, to have our physical bodies, to breathe in and breathe out, to be part of this infinite web of life, co-evolving together constantly. How lucky we are. And indeed, the beauty of the living world, the natural world, is always calling to us, is always communicating to us, is always celebrating our uniqueness, our presence, responding to us. And this is also something that we are very fortunate to experience and to share with all life. I'm speaking to you now, gazing out across beautiful Blueskin Bay, gazing out from my heart's home workplace, Orokonui Eco Sanctuary. And the sky is a myriad of colours, so soft and gentle, like the inside of a shell, so stunning. And of course, these colours are here at the moment because of the eruptions in Tonga. The aerosols are still in our shared atmosphere. And this means we're seeing the most glorious array of colours in the morning and in the night. And I've had a wonderful day up at the Eco Sanctuary, lots of beautiful people visiting me and helping out in the cafe, which I really enjoy, doing lots of dishes, which I really love. And of course, when we are out in the world, we can choose to really appreciate the stories and the messages, the signs, the symbols, the words, the feelings, the perceptions, the visions, all of these things that come our way from other life forms when we interact or when we are observing them. And this is another great pleasure and privilege that we share, that we have such acute senses and sensory awareness of our world. And we can find meaning absolutely anywhere and absolutely everywhere, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, of course, today I've been very grateful to be visited by some people for the first time who had never been to Orokunui. Some people who haven't been for a few years. Some people who just love it and come every weekend. And of course, for all of us, we're all observing something different, something unique is speaking to us and calling to us, bringing itself to our attention. Had a wonderful time with the Takahe today, they're very performative and responsive, particularly Bennett, the Takahe, who loves to have people appreciating his great beauty also had the opportunity to see Waimari the eel and give her some food so that was very exciting gaze into her beautiful blue eyes and of course these experiences of connection and interplay serve to remind us of who we are on the deepest level that we are interactive beings and at all times we are in a state of interaction with different aspects of ourselves with different aspects of our consciousness and our awareness, with different aspects of our whole order and wairua, our modi, all of these aspects of ourselves that come forward and play out in the world and within us. And of course we're also in interaction with those around us. And 
for me I've been so grateful that over the last two and a half years so many people that I know and love have gone through great change and transformation including myself and this has been very challenging very stressful at times but what I'm starting to see is people settling themselves into new ways of doing being seeing feeling and really enjoying so I really hope for you whatever's happening around you whatever interactions are playing out within you and around you that you're finding that satisfaction of knowing that change comes and helps us to grow at the right time in the right way and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much. Kakitu. Toy, people can't see but we can. What's what's <laughs> that what's that on the wall behind you? Yep. That is a um, some artwork that uh, my whanau, which is me and my brother and um, uh, my father, um, are putting together as part of the 50-year uh, celebration of the delivery of the petition of Motereo Māori, which was back in 1972 when that petition was delivered. Uh, the exhibition is called I Will Not Speak Māori, and that is a reference to the education practices of schools when my father was at school where they were punished for speaking Māori and they had and he had to either pick up horseshit or write on the blackboard I will not speak Māori. Uh, so that's the name of the exhibition and we're installing approximately circa about 60 life-size steel sculptures on the Wellington Wharf. Uh, yeah you guys can see those and we've got all of these ones over here as well. Amazing. Um, wow. And we're actually opening a marae atea on the Wellington Wharf. So he'll be doing a, a, a pōhiri series uh, where we will have conversations around that on the Wellington Wharf open to the public with the steel sculptures all around. And we're also doing a series of performances, live performances as well down on the wharf. So uh, we've been lucky enough to gain funding from... Uh, a number of, of sources who put the show on and that's another way of having this conversation outside of the tent is by putting art. I think art is a way to have a conversation that is uh, hits more in your subconscious and, and other try to bypass that, that cognitive limiter called your brain uh, and, and have, have a conversation in a different way. And so that's, that's that work, yeah. I will not speak Māori, coming to, um, actually, you will see it up and down the country. Uh, we are running a, uh, a campaign with Phantom Billings with a propaganda poster. Tamiti Presents, I will not speak Māori, is going right through the whole country. Fantastic. So you will see it, see it in a town near you. And when does that happen? When does that happen? Uh, 1st of September to the 17th of September. So the first half of, of, of September. If you're in Wellington, come down to the uh, the wharf on the first will be the opening night and then the last three days of Māori Language Week, uh, we'll be doing performances there. Or any time between the 1st of September and the 17th of September, um, I'm currently, we, we were filming yesterday um, some elements that we're going to be projecting onto Te Papa. Uh, I won't give, give, give it all away, but we're projecting onto Te Papa, our national museum. Um, as well as uh, there is a, a visual arts installation within a container that will be down there as well. So between that and local government, I've been a bit busy. <laughs> I must say, it's um, getting to work with some amazing people on it. There's, and there's a lot of moving parts. Oh, my Lord, I don't think it would be, be what it is, but it is. 
So you're going to be loading up all of those steel people onto a truck? No, into a container. Oh, yeah? Yep, the, con- the container's here. Um, and the base plates, we've got 30 base plates that these will be welded to down there. And each base plate weighs 250 kilos. So it's, um, oh, it's a bit that's of an insulation. A, that's a significant chunk. Of steel. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Is it ready? Um, it's getting there. It's pretty close. We, in under four weeks, that container will be down in Wellington. We'll be installing it in the month, within the month. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Toy E.T. Toy, as you know, I sit as a trustee on Bay Trust, and we've had a massive shift in our, the way that we um, apply our granting over the last few years based on the fact that we've got $280 million under investment. We're granting around $8 million a year. But what is the point in in sitting by while everything's burning or drowning and people don't have homes and the the and the land is falling into the rivers and the ocean and we've got all this money in the bank but nowhere to live anymore and the regional council I think is in much the same kind of situation. Um, that's the perception that the regional council is in the same sort of situation. That's you know, if you talk to our various uh, financial. Uh, advisors and experts, they, they, um, a, a lot of that wealth is tied up in, in assets. Um, there's not necessarily the same cash. Certainly, I can say categorically, there isn't the same cash assets as, um, say, the Easter Bay Trust in terms of sitting in the bank. But uh, I see where you're going with that. And yeah, it is always the question around, you know, do you do we spend the money now? Do we invest now? Because the money is needed rather than being what was the term avarice sitting mm-hmm. sitting on on the money um, in case we need it for a rainy day. We're saying, hey, the rainy day is happening right now. Exactly. Today is the rainy day, and the Today flood is, is the happening rainy day. <laughs> over and over again. And we've um, where is the impact of the investment? Because yeah. extending a monoculture. Um, big kiwi fruit development down the east cape and turning it into one big spray zone is not the kind of impact that we need to fix the problems that we have in our community and yet that's what's happening yeah and uh, i I guess you're referring to the investments of the council controlled company keyside yeah um which does have its own board It's, it's a very interesting um model and and dance um with regards to the separation of the company it's a council controlled organization yes but the the um steps that we need to go through as governance of the major as the represent governance of the majority shareholder of that uh council controlled company is, is is all guided by reams and reams of policy yeah um we also as a local government entity are guided by very conservative financial policies um it has to go through quite a number of hoops before we can we can't just walk in and and suddenly go hey we want to change this this and this and this is we it's actually um we would be acting illegally if we did um there are protection mechanisms put into place to 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 stop that which probably is a wise you don't want necessarily you know whether it's a radical you know i'm doing quotation marks here people radical left or radical right group of people coming in and just completely um pushing through their their agenda um you you want some 
mechanisms in place to make sure that there is um, judiciary judiciary uh, responsibility taken into account. Um, but I hear what you're saying, monocrops. You know, the interesting thing, Marwetta, is that actually that's all Māori land down there. Yeah. That is Māori wanting the uh, opportunity to cash in, you, you know, to, to have... To make a, the land pay. To, make, to, to have an opportunity to utilize the land generate capital for future generations and to do you know to actually have cash flow to do things with um you know something that the parkia neighbors have been doing for a few generations now you know and so it's a, you know of course isn't it the way that when when maori start to do it suddenly it's not kind of the flavor of the month or you know because you're right we, we there are there are some genuine real issues around monocropping, whether it's kiwi fruit or pine or whatever that doesn't quite well it doesn't at all fit into the model of uh my time of of how we should be cultivating uh if we were to place our value so um you know I think that just highlights to my weather the complexities of all of these things. Uh, one thing I've certainly le- learned from from my first term at regional council, and maybe this is my parting thought, because I, I do respect it, is that when you pull one lever to fix one thing, a whole lot of different cogs downstream from that lever kick into place and uh, kick into play, and ha- you have consequences that you didn't expect. And um that's the working environment of mm-hmm. these kinds of places so uh you people think oh you should just do this yeah if you do that then this 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 and this and this and it gets really complicated really really quickly <laughs> and then everyone ends up stopping and going oh see <laughs> we best stay the course of incremental policy development because that's the <laughs> <laughs> so that's why it's that's why it's such an interesting case study i suppose of radical change within a system that that's somehow you have to navigate break the fourth wall or something to to be able to overcome that that illusion of change and turn it make it real speak to the unintended consequences and run with it anyway feel the fear Yeah, feel the fear, do it. I mean, I think, you know, and this this is the other part of me, the wairua part. You know, and I often say roll with the wairua. Mm. There has to be a certain amount of faith that, you know, the the things, you never know what's around the corner and how things, you know, good or bad. So I think something, I, I agree with you to a certain extent. I think you have to be wise in the decisions because they are, the, the consequences are wide ranging and will impact a lot of people. Um, but I, I agree, Sam. It is an interesting case study in terms of radical change within a system. Um, I am an advocate that actually we have to because the status quo is not working. We have no choice but try something really different. And that will take a real mindset shift, a real cultural shift. And let's do it. Let's be brave. Let's have some faith that actually, regardless of the consequences, we will work it out. But we have to shift. We cannot rub our hands together in anxiety and think, oh, but what if this and what if that? We need to shift. All of the tohu are there. So let's get on with it. I have some questions to end the show with. We asked you these before, but we're going to try it again. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Uh, Being a parent of my teenager. I think I'm doing quite well. 
<laughs> I think last time you said something about gardening. Oh, yeah. Well, I've had some success in gardening too. <laughs> that continues. But, um, you know, as your children move into adulthood and managing that transition from childhood to adulthood, is um, that is a challenge. And I think I have, um, I'm, I'm, I am very pleased with where the relationship is and where um, and, and how I have managed to adapt and shift. So um, that I would 100% say that's my biggest success of, of the last few years. So what's your superpower? My superpower is my empathy. Here, here. You'd agree, Mawera? You're, you're, yeah, you're, absolutely. You're number five. Well, that's his superpower. Everything, a toy, the people around you, oh. the whenua you walk on, the that. future that we're walking into, everything. You are empathy. And even for those on on the other side of the political spectrum who 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 push back against you, I have empathy for them for the for the um and 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 and, and it's not like I feel sorry for them. It's not in a patronising way. I have genuine empathy. They got brought up in certain communities and they and they see things how they see things, and I and I empathise with that. Um, and I think moving forward, we need in we need empathetic leaders, like genuinely empathetic leaders, not not virtual virtue signalling uh, leaders. We need leaders who who have developed empathy and and practice empathy, not only in their um, personal lives, but managing to bring that into their professional lives as well. I think we that's a skill base that needs to be. Um, develop so that you, because when you are empathetic, you are able to hear more. You're able to actually have conversations where you aren't just holding your position. You are hearing the other side. That is the empathetic muscle, is that you can actually really hear them. And I think that is, uh, um, you might necessarily get to, you might not necessarily get to, you know, where you have to agree to disagree and you don't, you know, but you need to understand how they're getting to the position that they're holding. And without empathy, I don't think you can. And therefore, without empathy, you don't have genuine communication. And without genuine communication, you cannot move forward as a whole community. And of course, developing the skill base is why we ask that question, because if we can figure out what it is that people are doing, then we can hopefully help that grow and multiply. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Absolutely. Yeah, I am an active person in many ways. I come from a whakapapa of activism. I practice activism in my own way. It is a broad church, but no, without a doubt, I'm, I'm an activist, proudly. And you've managed to hold on to that, even though you are now the system? Uh, I do not think of myself as the system. I think of myself as an elected representative to interface with the system. So I'm very clear with that delineation that even though I am sitting inside of the tent, I am a, you know, you could if you use an electronics kind of uh, metaphor, I'm a, a resistor within or a, a, a capacitor or whatever within within that uh, circuit board that represents a view. Um, I think you can be an activist and interface with the system and play that play a part. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, generally, um, my dog licking my face gets me out of the bed in the morning, <laughs> wanting food. Um, 
every morning. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, after that, hey, you know what? What what motivates me is a as a genuine curiosity to this crazy thing that we call life and consciousness. It just amazes me every day the incredible. Uh, various manifestations of life that I encounter, whether it's in nature or, you know, largely actually in people. I meet incredible people who, uh, and it just really fuels my curiosity for, huh, what's next? What, what What's around the corner? Um, challenging or not. I think there there is a, you know, without, I'm a firm believer that without the dark, you don't appreciate the light. And so I appreciate both the dark and the light, the easy and the hard. Um, and that fuels my curiosity uh, for life. I think it's a fascinating thing. I think we live in a fascinating time. You, every day you can read something just incredibly like mind-blowing that makes you go, wowzers. I mean, the new, the new telescope that's up in the, in, in, um, that's sending images back currently of far off galaxies and when you when you try to conceptualize in some of our puny little brains the the scale um but then you know they they there's not only we used to think atoms were the smallest things and then we're like oh no there's electrons and protons and neutrons oh no hang on those are made up of quarks and you know the scale of things both ways from you know starting point of you as a manifestation of 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 life and you go head head to the big and you head to the small and it's um uh incredible it blows my mind and every day i see things that blow my mind that make me go wow <laughs> that's 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 crazy um yeah that, that that's what gets me out of bed is my my curiosity and appreciation of life so what challenge or opportunity are you looking forward to in the next year or so um the challenge i am looking forward to in the next year or so is um renewing my vigor for being an activator within the local government space um and having fun with that challenge uh i am going to be borrowing some i'm not borrowing but leaning into uh some my 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 papa of having fun with that activism of having you know that maui ahua maui that maui tanga of you got to have fun and be cheeky about it but actually speak as well we need to speak more to the truth more often and you can do it in interesting ways so that's my challenge that's what i'm i think is going to be the big challenge for the next year or so and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners oh appreciate yourself and appreciate your loved ones around you is my advice to any and everybody is really lean into your gratitude and appreciation for uh, whatever your situation. There will always be beauty and will always be spaces that you can be grateful for, regardless of the challenges that you have. And exercise that muscle, people. Grow that muscle and magic will happen in your life. Thank you for that. Moera. Boy. You have to keep rolling with the Wairua forever and ever. Um, we so need you, and you are the change. Be the change. Be courageous. And uh, I like the idea of, of that Maui tanga in, 
<laughs> bringing some fun and some life into an otherwise pretty stale kind of place, um, but most importantly, bringing change and, and uh, just doing it. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for all the work that you're doing for the work that you're yet to do. We appreciate you. Kāpai kia Thank you, Mawera. I appreciate you too and the work that you do, Ekwa. And koe hoki, Sam, e mihi mahana tēnei kia kōru watahi. Dia tidak suci, tak sesuci yang kau pikir. Dia bersih, namun di matamu kurang murni. Mereka manusia dengan banyak cerita, dengan mimpi dan harapan juga. Bukan sekedar babu karena berwajah beda. Tahukah kamu sakitnya hatiku, meskipun aku warga negaramu. around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we're broadcast on otago access radio every monday wednesday and friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie this is troy kingy again amokura i'm samuel man in sawyer's bay and i'm we're a Karatai and Toy Karaku That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Matiwa.
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.